1: And a great good afternoon to you and yours, certainly a big thank thank you from us to you for dialing us up in whatever form or fashion that you do. It's Wednesday, June 14th, the year 2023. LSU has left Baton Rouge, destination Omaha, as they're three days away from the start of their college World Series journey. Questions to be asked, questions to be answered, and the Tigers on their side of the bracket will face teams such as Tennessee, Wake Forest, and Stanford. Could the Pels trade Zion, or would they trade Brandon Ingram to move up in the draft? These stories and much, much more coming your way today As my main man, James Mesh. It's inside the Evco Development Studios in the producer's chair. He's spinning the tunes, pushing all the buttons. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. It's on the campus of Delta Media, where you'll find KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're on KLCJ 1041 in Lake Charles, streaming everywhere, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area, you can turn your television set on and look at us, watch us, because we're simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber.
0: This is the Jordy Holberg Show. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's Headlines.
1: You mentioned LSU departed Baton Rouge, heading to Omaha, where they'll get things situated, get things underway. The city welcomes LSU, welcomes all their fans. They've already doubled up the orders for beer and alcohol and all the accompaniments. It's a party of two weeks that LSU hopes They will be there for those two weeks. Jake Johnson uh, has been there before as the coach at Arizona. He said, something I learned the first couple of times, that you need to focus on your side of the bracket. The other side doesn't become relevant until it becomes relevant. And then, having the day off before the championship series, there's plenty of time to get focused on one team. LSU opens up with Tennessee Saturday at 6 p.m., And then the gauntlet with the number one overall seed, Wake Forest, and another perennial College World Series baseball power in Stanford. So both sides of the bracket loaded. All these teams are very, very good. Mark Etheridge, our scout from D1 Baseball, will evaluate the Tigers' side of the bracket here in about 10 minutes and share his thoughts on the road to the championship series. Um, As far as what LSU is going to do pitching-wise, Jake Johnson hasn't revealed anything, much like he didn't reveal anything for the regional, and he didn't reveal anything for the super regional. So we will wait, and we will see. The questions surrounding LSU, obviously, uh, will LSU's power translate to Charles Schwab Field? Tigers have 133 homers this season, the most among the eight teams in the field. The next closest, Florida and Wake Forest at 129. In five home postseason games, LSU hit 16 home runs. So um, Charles Schwab field, spacious dimensions, wind sometimes in from the Missouri River. Only six home runs were hit in 30 games at the College World Series between 2013 and 2014. Those numbers have gone up with new balls and less restricted bats. But is LSU's power going to translate? Can they slug their way through the ballpark? But in all likelihood, they'll need to score without home runs at times. The pitching is better at this stage, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. That's one of the questions that need to be answered. Um, can the bullpen maintain its form? Riley Cooper, Griffin Herring, Nate Ackenhausen, Blake Money, Thatcher Hurd, Gavin Guidry. They've all stepped up. They've all been terrific of late. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. What happens if LSU – gets unfortunately loses and has to go through the losers bracket to get to the championship. That would mean they'd have to play five games to get there. Um, Who, who plays then who starts then? Um, So you you win your first two games, then you've got a clear path to the finals, but if they fall into the losers bracket and face multiple elimination games like they did in 2017, what does LSU do then? that's something for the coach to figure out and hopefully that won't be won't be the scenario uh the saints are in mini camp mandatory mini camp everybody's there um Derek carr spoke with the media yesterday and uh it's the first time he's actually playing with these veterans and and getting an eyeballs vision of them and what they can do. So here's Derek Carr's thoughts on what he saw from Alvin Kamara.
2: No, me and Alvin have been talking, uh, you know, uh, about about certain things. And what a, what a great guy. I uh, just absolutely love him. Um, great teammate, you know, great energy about him. Um, and very explosive. You know, he's so smooth on film. You really just don't know how good he is. You know, obviously you see the film, but then when you get in person, he ran a couple routes. I remember I looked at Jake today and I was like, bro, like that's not normal, <laughs> you know, and you just feel his presence when he's on the field. You know, we were able to hit him on a couple of little routes and things like that and see see him move. And, um, you know, he I, I think just being around him just for a little bit, you know, in the building, you people don't really know how smart he is at football. You know what he knows, he knows where to see, he knows what route to run, he knows where to get, uh, he knows how to use his help and, um, you know that combined with his athletic ability, you see why now he's had all that production. And so, um, yeah, we've been we've been talking you know the whole time, but uh, it was cool to see him in person, uh, for sure.
1: For sure. Um, so that's on his side of the ball when he goes up against the Saints' defense. Of course, the Saints' best corner is Marshawn Lattimore. I was curious to hear what Derek Carr thinks about Lattimore.
2: This is tenacity, hundred percent, and he's. He's one of the top corners. You know, you can sit up there and put rankings, and they, everyone loves to put on Instagram and get attention. You know, and who really cares? You know, he's one of the top corners in the NFL. He's an elite corner, um, and I think his overall competitiveness, his tenacity, his drive, um, I think that's what separates him. You know, I mean, you just watch, watch him today. He just competes. You know, like a lot of guys are very talented, but they don't compete the way that he does. He's talented and he competes that way. You know, and, and then playing against him, I've played against him too in Las Vegas and. Uh, there's just certain routes he don't throw his way, you know. We got away with one. We completed one on it, and we got away with it because he jumped it and we threw it high, and he could have he could have had that one. Um, but you know, there's you know, you just think I just think about playing him over the years. There's certain balls you just that's a, I'm going to work over here, you know, and not a lot of guys make you do that, um, but he's one that does.
3: Like what? Like what would be something you?
2: I'm not going to give all my secrets away. <laughs> not yet. Not till not till week one. Then I'll tell him. <laughs>
1: So there's Derek Carr with his thoughts on two of the stars on the Saints team. Tonight, the SEC Network is set to air an hour-long program revealing the 2024 SEC football schedule. It's an hour that will answer many questions for football fans in the Southeast. Of course, 2024 will be the first year in the SEC for Texas and Oklahoma who will officially join the conference a year from now on July 1st of 2024. In addition, the addition of two teams from the Big 12 necessitated some changes to the usual schedule. Um, SEC presidents voted to move forward with an eight-game schedule as opposed to a nine-game slate. Divisions have been done away with as well. Apparently, Georgia, Florida, Texas A&M, Missouri, and LSU were the teams that reportedly voted for a nine-game schedule. Now, 2024 is the only confirmed season that will feature an eight-game schedule as it could be voted to be changed in the future. 2024 will also require each SEC program to play at least one Power 5 program on their schedule, that or a major independent such as Notre Dame. Um, It's been reported that each SEC team Will face either Oklahoma or Texas in 2024. Whether they are at home or away, that will be announced later tonight on the SEC Network. So that should be very interesting for those that like to know who you're going to play, uh, is going to you know where you're going to play them, that type of thing. So uh, there you go. Um, we shall see. Uh, the NBA draft is just seven or eight days away. New Orleans Pelicans currently hold the 14th spot, and it's being reported everywhere, everywhere, that the Pels are looking to try and move up in the draft. I don't know how much of this is smoke. I don't know how much of this is realistic. Uh, Time will tell, but could Zion Williamson be on the move? That's, that's a move the league is certainly wondering if the Pelicans are going to make, uh, for the first time truly, Zion Williamson available. He's played just 29 games over the past two seasons. Look, he's entering the first year of a five-year, $193 million contract extension. The Pels have done everything, everything in their power, for this young man, he, he has the opportunity to be the face of the league. LeBron's getting older. Steph's getting older. Zion has the chance. Un, unchallenged, unrivaled ability. But you know the expression. We say it all the time. The best ability is uh, availability. And Zion has become a major problem or the Pels with his inability to get on the court. Here's the risk you take. What if all of a sudden Zion gets a run where he's healthy for the next 10 years? What are the chances of that? Well, slim. Is Zion mature enough to do what it takes from a physical conditioning standpoint, And that's what I just can't understand. He's got all the money in the world. That, that franchise has done everything for him. Can't you just get in shape? I mean, are you that lazy? They had to put a, a stipend in his contract that he had to have a, a a weight deal where he couldn't weigh more than 295 pounds? That doesn't seem hard to to figure out. I mean, I, I don't get it. So I guess the question is, he's a problem to you. Do you want him to become a problem for somebody else? And move on and get somebody else in here. You take the risk of Zion becoming healthy and becoming that iconic figure. What do you do? We'll see what the Pelicans do. It's not an easy decision would you offer Brandon Ingram instead? No, it's a hard call. Man, it is a hard call. That's that GM David Griffin's gonna either sink or swim if 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 any of this comes into fruition. We'll see. All right. Well, let's get busy. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh we'll, pro, we'll preview LSU's side of the college world series bracket when we return with D1 Baseball's Mark Etheridge. Stay tuned. This is the Jordy
0: Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: Looking for great deals? Then look no further than Acadianadeals.com. Plenty of two-for-one deals available right now. You can get a thirty-dollar voucher to La Hacienda for only fifteen bucks, and this Friday you'll be able to get a forty-dollar voucher to Misfits dine and drink for only twenty. Once again, visit Acadianadeals.com to take advantage of these deals and so many more.
0: This is the Jordy Holtberg Show, live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the Game 1037 Lafayette. One zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's
1: sports station. Hi, welcome back. The College World Series gets underway on Friday. Three SEC teams are in it. Florida is in one bracket with TCU, Oral Roberts, and Virginia. LSU and Tennessee are in the bracket with Wake Forest and Stanford. LSU-Tennessee will meet up on Saturday at 6 p.m. Mark Etheridge. Um, covers baseball in the SEC for D1 Baseball. He's also an author. Petunia Out of Water. Mark, good afternoon. What is that about, Petunia Out of Water?
4: Yeah, nice to talk to you again, Jordy. Uh,
1: yeah,
4: um, about six years ago, I lost my wife uh, suddenly oh. and was left as a single parent to an autistic daughter. She's a teenager. At the oh, time. So that is our journey uh, going God from that you. shocking. Revelation for the next, really about the next year of our lives as we try to try to make sense of it all. And it, there's some obviously some heavy content in there, but there's a lot of humor as well as as we sort of sort of find our way in in our new reality.
1: God bless you, man. golly sakes alive. Prayers to you, your daughter. My goodness gracious, that that's that's just awesome. How you do all the things that you do, and how you. How you cover baseball? Uh, so let's get to baseball. Um, mm-hmm. Two brackets here. We're interested, of course, in the LSU bracket. If you handi- had to handicap this, one through four, with Wake Forest, Stanford, LSU, Tennessee, based on how they played through their regional super regionals, how would you handicap this side of the bracket?
4: Yeah, it's, it's LSU and Wake Forest at the, at the top, and you know we we and it's going to be an incredible. Uh, assuming they do match up, it's going to be quite the matchup. I, I do think that uh, I like LSU right now because of they found some, you know, they found some pieces in the bullpen that they that are getting results, and that offense is just is just so incredible. But the thing about Wake Forest, uh, they've just been so consistent. You know how Wake Forest, well, how we talked about LSU's been, been great, and then they had a little dip, and then they came back, and it looks like they they kind of figured things out, and are smoothing smoothing it out. Uh, I think with Wake Forest, it's just been solid and consistent all year. And that's tough mm-hmm. to do in college baseball, especially, you know, yeah. you, you got college-age kids, you don't always get the same performance day in, day out, and they certainly have. Um, so I think that's going to be interesting for me. The, the big storyline with Wake Forest, and that's what kind of all of us have been wondering, is they, they've they hit so many home runs, and, you know, you know, how big that ballpark plays in Omaha is definitely a pitcher's park. So will they be able to transition and win in other ways? Uh, Of course you could make it, make similar comments about LSU, certainly a home run heavy team. Uh, Will they be able to to continue that, that uh, power prowess in in a stadium that's really not made for that. So those are two, I think that the two best teams in that side of the bracket, I think they'll be in the final four, so to speak. And, uh, I'm leaning LSU at this point. It's, um, it's just kind of one of those things where their talent uh, offensively is better than what Wake Forest has, and they do have the top-line pitching to match up. I think Wake Forest has more guys uh, that they can go to that they feel good about, but, but it's, it, you know, it should be a, a, an incredible uh, week of baseball there.
1: This should be Mark Ethrix uh, with us, d one baseball, Tennessee, certainly, um in a very hostile environment, came up and picked uh-huh. a shutout in game three of a of a series that was delayed and delayed and delayed some more. Um, but that was very impressive. And uh, Tony Vitalo got him back in the in the college World Series yet again. what uh, what do you see in Tennessee now? These two teams met earlier in the season in Baton Rouge. LSU won two out of three. They won the first two. Mm-hmm. Tennessee came back and put up a crooked numbers there in game three. But what do you see in Tennessee? Well, I think
4: earlier in the year, you know, Tennessee had such a polarizing year last year. They
1: they
5: right. they,
4: they caught everybody's best shot uh coming into this year because people just, you know, they got sick of getting Getting beat and getting uh, getting it rubbed in their face when they when they beat you and it, there was a lot of payback on it and I think that caused some just some extra frustration uh, in that in that clubhouse and it's taken them some time to kind of come together as a team and figure out who this year's version of the Volunteers are and right now they're a really good version I mean they they pitch so well and moving Chase Burns into that closer role uh, I don't know if you saw he he hit a hundred and two I mean that's I thought only Skeens did that, but apparently Chase Burns <laughs> can do it too. Uh, coming out of the pen, it's just it's a game changer uh, when you have a guy that's, that just kind of shuts that game down and shortens it. And, and they've had other good pitchers as well. I mean, Andrew Lindsay's moved into their Friday starter spot. Uh, Chase is as talented as anybody out there. He was the SEC Pitcher of the Year last year. And he hasn't been quite as sharp for the most part, but, but when he's on, you know, he, he can beat anybody. And then Drew Bean was really good in their in their clinching game uh, on Monday. Uh, he might have pitched the best of anybody, you know, for, on their staff all weekend. So they've got so many options on the mound. They don't really scare you offensively. There's not this one guy that, hey, we can't let him beat us. But, but they're pretty solid. There's some depth in that lineup, and they can hit the ball out of the park. And I think that's going to – I mean, that's how they beat Southern Miss home runs and pitching. And they'll they'll right.
1: need to carry that formula, you know, into Omaha. LSU is kind of different, right? I mean, I don't see much of a weakness in the lineup when it comes to bats and putting Ooh. the ball in play. They uh, there's something. The big question always was the bullpen and the pitching staff. Well, it looks like, based upon what yeah. what we've seen in the in the regional and super regional, that the, this bullpen's come kind of come into play and it looks like they've, they've found their, um, their closer in a young freshman.
4: Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, we, they went through that stretch a few weeks ago and and a lot of it, you know, it was, it was magnified by those, that Mississippi state series loss where the building just melted down. And, but you go through something like that and you come out stronger and you figure out who you guys are and, and what roles they should be in. And, and I think that's where we are right now. I, you have to list that still as as maybe the the chink in the armor, but it's not nearly as big a chink as it was before. Uh, I, in fact, I probably like LSU's bullpen better than better than some of these other teams that, that we're seeing that, that are still remaining. So um, it's a team without a lot of holes. I'm sure they'd like to have you know maybe one more bullpen guy, but if you stay in the winners bracket. You can reuse those guys, and they can come back. Yeah. And I think that's going to be important. Obviously, every team wants to stay in the winners' bracket, but if you're a little bit short on the mound, um, then that's that's. I mean, that's how how Ole Miss did it last year, and I think that's the formula that that you want to try to follow.
1: We still see, boy. There's a lot of um, what seems like a lot of annual, traditional type teams that that go there. Stanford. Uh, is mm-hmm. is one of those uh, teams um the cardinal I mean they figured out a way man a seemingly easy pop fly uh that Texas for yeah. some reason couldn't couldn't get and the Cardinal is in and the longhorns are done
4: what a way to lose a ball game uh, yeah. Texas I mean I mean
1: that
4: you know the Stanford head coach was talk, David Esker was talking about he'd already looked down because he saw you know he saw the pop up and just assumed that Center fielder was going to catch it, and then yeah. looked up, and they sitting, neither the center fielder or the right fielder saw the ball. Either could have caught it, and it's just a—it's you know, a terrible way. It was a great Hard game. Fight. You hate for it to end on a on yeah. on a, on a, on a gap like that. But yeah, Stanford's a club. that They're very very physical. They they're going to look like an SEC team getting off the bus. And I don't I don't think they have a lot of pitching depth. That's another team that needs to stay in the winners bracket. But um, but but they can slug it. And and that's the thing is offense has been such a focal point of this, this season. You know, home runs are up, doubles are even up, batting averages are up. Um, what, how will that play in this bigger ballpark? Maybe, maybe everybody just continues to slug home runs. We'll see uh, because there's not a lot of cheapies sometimes. But I, I do think that that's something to watch this week.
1: All these teams are are really good. They wouldn't be here. Jay Johnson says, look, we just got to worry about our side of the bracket. Um, We'll figure out if Mm -hmm. we get to that point uh, who's on the other side. But when you look at TCU, Oral Roberts, Florida, Virginia, um, who's playing the best baseball out of those four? Who do you like?
4: Yeah. I mean, I'm picking Florida as my – to come out of that bracket and TCU is the second-best team. But, I mean, everybody's playing well in – and if you look at TCU, I mean, since since I think it's May, first of May, they've lost two games. And Oral wow. Roberts has won like 31 out of 33 or something crazy like that. I mean, it's, mm. these are teams that, that are not just playing well. All these teams are playing well. But they've been doing it for a while. and So you, you get that momentum and that confidence and that belief. And when you get a team like that, especially in the postseason, they're, they're tough to deal with. I do think that I, I like Florida just because, one that they've got an incredible offense you know, maybe that and LSU the two best offenses remaining, but their starting pitching is just, I mean, if those guys are are throwing strikes, they're all, they're, I mean, they're they're almost as good as schemes. I mean, it's it's that level of velocity, that level of pitchability. They just got to throw strikes, and you know, Brandon uh, Sproat and uh, Hurston Waldrop, are they're, they're kind of ace and co-ace. Uh, those, are the, those are the two guys to watch there. And then, you know, the third guy is Chad Caglione, the two way player who's going to throw 99. He doesn't always throw strikes, but when he does, man, he's, he's a handful as well. So I think Florida is one of these teams that, that you know, with the pitching depth and the way they're pitching bullpen has, has come back through the latter half of the year, um, they, they look like a team that, that I really wouldn't want to face right now
1: it all gets underway on friday um thank you thank you so much uh for joining us i'm gonna go find that book and buy it and read it and uh (laughs) i I wish you nothing but the best on your journey Uh, but it sounds like you've got things under control and i really truly admire you for that so mark etheridge d1 baseball thank you for your time appreciate that jordy all right you take care um college world series gets underway and that was a little handicapping could be an all SEC final, according to, to Mark. Could be the Gators on one side and the Tigers on the other. Uh, we shall see. Saints are in the mires of a mandatory three day mini camp. They got underway yesterday uh, and they had another practice today. They'll conclude it tomorrow. Then they'll go on vacation for about six weeks before the grind of training camp begins. Chris Roseverglue will join us next on all the latest scuttlebutt right there on Airline Drive. Stay with us.
0: This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: You want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're low on cash? Not to worry. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. As a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse and a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. Now, you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today.
0: Every day is a Chamber of Commerce kind of day when you're listening to The Jordy Holberg Show. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your hall for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros in southwest Louisiana.
1: We are back 37 minutes after the hour. Saints minute camp. Day number two is in the books. Let's kind of get an option, uh, kind of an insight as to, to what took place from man he's just the best in the business we always love talking with chris rosewood who's joining us this uh right now boot crew media hello christopher how you doing buddy i'm doing great jordy thank you for having me Ah, i see the saints logo behind you so let's let's talk about day two we ran a soundbite earlier in the show today about Derek carr um effusing praise on one alvin Kamara, and i heard the two hooked up today and um and uh, had one of those wheel routes that we know Camaro's good at and that we would love to see more of.
3: Yeah, it's it's one of those connections that uh, you can't help but get excited about because I think from just the skill set standpoint between Derek Carr utilizing the running back position and Alvin still having that juice, uh, I would like to see that be, I'd say, reinstalled into the Saints offense. I talked about it you know, a little bit in depth on Twitter today, but if you look at Alvin's receiving numbers over the course of his career – the first three seasons, he had 81 receptions in each of those seasons. Then he had 83 in 2020. And since then, in 2021 and 2022, he's gone down to 47 catches and 57 catches in those two seasons, respectively. And I'm not saying that Alvin needs to have 80-plus catches again for it to be a successful season. But I think the stuff that he used to be great at, whether it was a wheel real, a real route, whether it was that option route where you give him – just literally the option of depending on where the linebackers hips are turned going out or cutting in. I think the saints have kind of gone away from that. And I'm not entirely sure what the reason will be, but I wonder if a lot of it plays with the running back room. And I think when you look at the last two seasons, I think what the saints really lacked was that kind of Robin to Alvin Camaro's Batman. And I think they've done a good job of kind of doing that, bringing in Jamal Williams, bringing in Kendra Miller and if those two guys can take some of the pressure off of Alvin in the run game, maybe that frees him up to get out there and make a couple of plays in the passing game. And I kind of believe that's what will happen. Uh, but I still want to see it. You know, even though it looks great right now, and that's back-to-back days of Car and Alvin really connecting well, uh, you know, it's up to Pete Carmichael to make sure he calls those plays on game days so that they can take advantage against opposing defenses. But I do think the improved running back room, might let Alvin free up his position a little bit more and get out there. uh, And hopefully we'll see him in that receiving role. My
1: goodness. If I'm Derek Carr, I'm like, I'm audible. Uh, If you don't call the play, I'm going to audible and get the ball. I mean, there's a direct correlation with his success and Drew Brees and how he was such a a comfortable um, piece of the pie for Drew Brees. It's a short throw. You get it to him quick you don't get hit and you let him do the work i just don't understand i don't, i can't like you i can't figure out the reasoning why that has dipped as low as it has makes no sense to me
3: it it is bizarre and, and it's across the board you know it's receptions it's the targets that have been down yeah. it's the yards per catch was second lowest in his career last year so I think the Saints have to get back to it. And when you do that, it really opens up everything for the rest of the team. And, and I think what you mentioned, Jordy, is the perfect part of this. If you want to make sure Derek Carr has a bounce-back season, he's in the best possible spot, those seem like safe throws. You know, I've never really seen plays to Alvin where I go, this is kind of risky and right. you know, the, it's, great, it's not great. It's it's very hard to kind of mess those plays up. So I hope that when the Saints looked back at last season, maybe that is why they got one out and got Jamal Williams. Maybe that is why they brought Kendra Miller in. And it's not just yeah. so much saying – we need to prepare for if Alvin gets suspended. It's when we have all these guys out there, you could have Jamal Williams in the backfield and have Alvin lined up in the slot and be ready to go. And that might put defenses in a bind. So hopefully that's what we see come September.
1: Speaking of the slot, there's a wide receiver that's very familiar with uh, Mr. Carr who plays in Vegas, who's only 27 years old. Um, Great, really good slot receiver, really runs good routes. He's from a championship pedigree at Clemson. Hunter Renfro is out there for the taking, I believe. Um, if you were the Saints, would you go pursue?
3: I would. I think that Hunter Renfro fits everything the Saints are looking for. And the one thing I would love about bringing in a guy like him, and, and you know, in addition to what you mentioned, championship pedigree, I mean, this was a former walk-on on Clemson, who all right. of a sudden turned into a really productive player, had 1,000 yards receiving in 2021. I think that if you were to add him to this group – all of a sudden when you're looking at Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Hunter Renfro, and Rashid Shaheed, you don't want to say it, but the, the reality is you can go, okay, if one of those players, God forbid, gets hurt for a little bit, you can weather the storm because you still yes. have the other three to handle that workload. So uh, I think it makes all the sense in the world. I think that it's a weird situation, though, because from the moment the Raiders signed Jacoby Myers— We all kind of thought, hey, maybe that means Hunter Renfrew is on his way out. And the Raiders haven't done a great job of exactly quieting all that noise. There's been so much trade speculation. They haven't even addressed it. But it does feel like, and maybe it's just me trying to read between the lines, I feel like he is available. I just think the Raiders might be holding out until they get what they want. I don't know if they will get what they want, but he makes a lot of sense for the Saints. You wouldn't have to worry about him getting on the same page with Derek Carr. They've worked together for the last three to four years And I think he does exactly what you need in the slot for New Orleans. And that's actually one of the few roles on offense where I kind of wonder, is it going to be Michael Thomas in the slot? Because I know Olave and Shahid will primarily be on the outside. And I think Hunter Renfro be a tremendous piece. I'd love to see it happen. I just don't know if it will.
1: Yeah, I wish they would do it. Uh, Thanks to boot crew media. I'm seeing some video of Michael Thomas putting in some work. Uh, He's not going full speed, but at least I see him planting, cutting, uh, it looks like he is progressing as well. Fingers crossed.
3: He is progressing. And, and you know, even yesterday, uh, you got to see him work a little bit with Derek Carr. So it wasn't just, you know, him working off to the side or him getting some routes and catching some passes from his new starting quarterback. And I think for Michael Thomas, you know, obviously uh, you don't want to look ahead, but it seems like as long as he doesn't suffer a setback, when training camp rolls around in late July, we're going to see him out there at full go and, I think that's exactly what Saints fans want to hear and what they want to see. And hopefully just, you know, he stays on this course because right now he's putting himself in a really good position to do the, just that.
1: Chris Rose, looked kind enough to join us. Uh, Trevor Penning was seen out there, still not participating, but at least he was doing some stretching exercises. So with the team. So I- I'm going to take that as a positive in every direction I can think of.
3: Yep, I I agree. I think for a lot of these guys who are banged up right now, you you just want to see them out there just to know that they're in the building and getting work done. And for Trevor Penning, uh, this training camp might be the most pivotal one of his career when it comes up next month. I think this is an extremely talented young man. And what I saw last year in the preseason was a guy who his first game kind of looked a little lost out there. Second game showed great improvement. Third game showed even more improvement. And you couldn't help but wonder what he could have possibly done last year had he had a whole season to really get his footing down and kind of go through the ups and downs of being a rookie in the NFL. And it it just, it's a shame that it started with a foot injury and then it ended with a foot injury. And I think that it's just pivotal to him that he gets out there. He stays healthy above all, because if Mm -hmm. the saints are going to run the football the way I think they can, I think you're going to need him out there to be mauling defenders in the run game, because while people might still have questions about whether or not he's going to be an elite pass blocker and, and handle that left side of the line, I have no doubts that even in you know his second year with not a lot of snaps under his belt, he would be moving people in the run game because his speed and size uh, and just strength, it's just a unique combination that not a lot of guys possess. So hopefully he continues to improve right now. It, it seems like he's trending in the right direction with training camp being probably the time where you'll see him get those reps. Uh, but for now, we haven't heard anything too negative. So hopefully it stays that way.
1: Chris Rose for glue with us. Um, after the 21 season, uh, the Saints lost both their starting safeties. Malcolm Jenkins, as if I remember, retired. Uh, Marcus Williams signed with the Baltimore Ravens. So the Saints had to go out and add some free agents to it. And they got uh, Marcus May and Taran Matthew. God, I expected more from them than what, what I saw on the field. And I think for the Saint defense to become what we think they should be those two, right? They they've gotta they've gotta get better and they've gotta go back to their ball hawking playmaking ways that that made their reputations that we didn't see at all last year.
3: Yeah, I think it's a, a very fair point. I mean, week one, you start off with May and Tyron Matthew kind of together, almost having like a joint force fumble. And you know, when you watch that play first week of the season, you can't help but wonder what's to come for the next 17 weeks. And right. unfortunately, it wasn't a lot of turnover forcing. The one thing I will say that kind of leaves me optimistic about this season coming up is I thought Tyron Matthew in terms of playing his best football, it happened in November, December, and January. And I think for him, once he started cleaning up the tackling, which wasn't a really big concern earlier in the season, I think back to the London game against the Vikings, he had some miscues there that he wanted to take back, uh, forced a couple of turnovers later in the season. I thought that was encouraging. I think a lot of the pressure kind of swings over to Marcus May. This is a player who with the Jets went healthy, super talented, very productive, and you just can't help but wonder if he doesn't start off hot, do the Saints start to say, okay, we might have to rotate some guys in here because we're not getting what we expected out of you. So I think a lot of the pressure will be on Marcus May. I love that he's been working uh, throughout this entire offseason, whether it was OTAs, whether it is mandatory minicamp now. You're seeing him out there. He's been present for the most part of this entire time, and uh, I hope that with Matthew out there, the two of them, another year under their belts, you kind of learn each other's uh, skill sets and and just how they, they operate, and maybe that leads to better results. But I, I think for them, that's where a lot of my, I guess, questions reside in. I, I feel weirdly confident that Tyron Matthew will be able to bounce back because at least I saw for uh, an right. extended stretch at the end of the season that he still does have good football left. I want to see Marcus May, who was coming off an injury when he left New York, I, I want to see if he can get back to what he used to be. And if he can, great. If not, then the saints have a huge hole at that safety position. And maybe a, a young guy like smoke Monday or a rookie like Jordan Howden, maybe they have to step up. So uh, it's one of those positions that to your point, Jordan, people might not think about it right now as a pressing concern, but what if this safety tandem doesn't work out this season, right. then you start to wonder maybe the ceiling for the defense isn't as high as we all thought it would be.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Good point. Chris Rose will go with us. Um, so we've got another day of training camp, uh, mini camp tomorrow. Uh, then these guys go on vacation for a while. I'm sure the coaching staff is going to sit down and evaluate, okay, these are our strengths, these are our weaknesses. Do you see any deal down the pipeline where the Saints go out and try and acquire some of the remaining free agents that are out there to maybe help this club?
3: Well, you know, I think one conversation the Saints needs to start having is how confident do they feel in DeMarco Jackson and Zach Ball at linebacker, and the only reason I say that is because – Unfortunately, for the first two seasons of Pete Werner's career, he has missed some time here and there. Now, uh, he's not missing, you know, every game of the season, of course, but uh, there is, you know, a three, four-game stretch both years where you're kind of wondering if he's available, if he's not. And, and last year, the Saints had the luxury of Cade Nellis stepping in and playing so sure. well that he earned himself a nice contract from the Falcons. Well, if the Saints feel like Demarco Jackson and or Zach Bond can step up, if a similar situation unfolded, great. Maybe you don't have to evaluate the market. If not, They have to go out there and look at the linebackers during their time off and say, okay, do we call a a Deion Jones or Zach Cunningham or a Quan Alexander or John Bostick, whoever it may be, and understand that one of those veteran linebackers isn't just magically going to fix this room, but it at least gives those younger guys someone to push them during training camp and see if they're going to be able to take that next step. So I think that might be the position where the Saints, in terms of the market, will have to look at. I'm sure they'll do their usual due diligence on offensive linemen, on wide receivers, defensive linemen. Um, but I would say linebacker be the question. And uh, D-line-wise, Cam Jordan taking a break right now. That's not really a concern, more so of an age thing. Carl Granderson's yeah. been absent. Uh, hopefully he's all right there. But, you know, there's still a little bit of talent out there, D-line. If the Saints want to get a situational guy, maybe they can consider. But I'd say looking at linebacker and even though the Saints haven't talked about it, I'm sure the rumors regarding Hunter Renfro won't go away. And if there is a trade, maybe it is during that kind of dead period between the end of mandatory minicamp and the start of training camp.
1: Makes perfect sense to me. Uh, Chris Rosalglue, Brute through Media, covering things now. We kind of get into a quiet period now, but it's never quiet, right? There's always something going on. Uh, but thank you for your time. As always, you are full of knowledge, and we appreciate you sharing it with us. We really do. Thank you, buddy.
3: Thank you for having me, Jordy.
1: All right. Chris Roserglu must read, must follow material. Uh, he is really, really, really good. No question. All right. We'll take a quick time out here. We'll close out hour number one, set the stage for a very busy hour number two next.
0: This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: And some of our great sponsors like ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets. If you can't shop right at ShopRite, you just can't shop right at all. By Ducks, cleaning America's air from the inside out. Eon of Lafayette, Baton Rouge, and Mandeville. The premier touchless robotic laser body contouring device that helps you lose those unwanted inches along with permanent fat reduction. By the Louisiana Lottery, so many chances to win, but you can't win until you start playing and playing responsibly. By DC's Little Capital Exxon, with their true soul food deli, home of the best cheeseburger ever, and by Cajun Chef. The Art family in St. Martinville, do yourself a flavor. Turn up the taste with Cajun Chef Hot Sauce.
0: Don't agree with what Jordy has to say? Not to worry. He's always open to a healthy debate. Well, Dean, I'm I'm glad that you asked that question.
1: Actually, I'd like to jump in and take
5: that
0: one, Jimmy, if you don't mind. Have at it, Hoss. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111. Now, back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show. On the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: All right, this just in at 55 minutes after the hour. Class of 2024 wide receiver Kylan Biot, B-I-L-L-I-O-2, Biliot, um, a 6'3", 190-pound wide receiver from Houma, Louisiana, has committed to LSU. He chose the Tigers over Georgia Tech, Troy, and Florida. Quote from Kylan It means a lot to me and my family. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. Not everyone gets a blessing like this. Um, So another wide receiver and another um, get for Brian Kelly. So we'll see. We'll see. There's um, whatever. Um, So we wish him the best. And it's just another sign that, Another Louisiana player is staying inside the boot and not going elsewhere, and uh, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. We'll see. All right, coming up, hour number two of the program. Very seldom do you get a U.S. Open golf championship in a major city. It's usually a suburb here and there, but not so this time because the 2023 U.S. Open that begins tomorrow is um, going to be held right in the middle of the second largest city in the United States. And we played at the Los Angeles country club for the very first time. Alex Myers golf digest will give us a preview. Is it Rom? Is it, uh, you know, is it Kepka? Is it Scheffler? Who's going to win this thing? Or is there going to be an outsider for the big three? And then Mike Huguenin will join us hump day with Huguenin. So stick around. Hour number two on this June 14th, Wednesday, continues after the the top-of-the-hour sports update here on the Jordy Heltberg Show. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the Tigers and the Houston Astros.
0: Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints Touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the
1: Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Hour number two of two, and away we go on a Wednesday, June 14th, the year 2023. My main man, James Mesh, in the master control suite of the EBCO Development Studios, which are on the campus of Delta Media, which is where you'll find KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're on KLCJ 1041 in Lake Charles, streaming everywhere. 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area, you can turn your television set on. Excuse me, because we're simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. We begin our number two with... You know, it's really rare, I think, for a PGA tournament to be held in a major American city. Like the Zurich Classic isn't in New Orleans, it's across the river in a suburb or an outlying area. And this is especially true for golf's majors, but not this week. Starting tomorrow, running through Sunday, golf's third of four majors will be held right in the middle of the second largest city in the United States as the 123rd U.S. Open will be played at Los Angeles Country Club for the very first time. So you know when we have a major golf championship approaching, we rely on our expert from Golf Digest, the one and only Mr. Alex Myers. And Alex joins us. Good afternoon, my friend. How are you?
5: I'm doing great, Jordy. How are you?
1: I'm terrific. Um, Why Los Angeles Country Club? It's a rarity, (laughs) isn't it?
5: Yeah. Well, it's the first time hosting the U.S. Open. Uh, This is a really exclusive course uh, as you can imagine uh-huh. you know celebrities and and very well-to-do people have have been at this course for many years very private they've hosted a few events but not nothing of this magnitude uh probably the, the closest thing would be the, the 2017 walker cup which is an amateur event but you're right i mean the backdrop of the the city being right there beverly hills um, you got the Playboy Mansion on the 14th hole, at the, the zoo that's still there. You hear the really? monkeys screaming. Yeah, it's, it's a, it, everything's going on over there at, uh, at LA Country Club. And, and um, I think this is one that people, uh, especially golf course aficionados, not that I'm one of those people, but uh, people I work with have had this event circled on their calendar for years because they've been dying to see not only this course, but to see the best players in the world take on this course, this uh, this classic George Thomas design. So a lot of people are looking forward to it. should be a unique test for the U.S. Open.
1: R 77,423 yards, of course, when I think of U.S. Open, I think of um, punishing rough with the mm-hmm, potential mm-hmm. for lost balls. Is that going to be the case <laughs> this week? Right. So that's where it's going
5: to be a little different. I mean, certainly uh, the rough will be penal, uh, but it's not that normal, you know, six inch high rough that you see at Wingfoot or Oakmont. They've actually uh, it could have gotten to that, but uh, they've actually cooler than normal weather out there in Southern California. Not that I'm crying for them out there. My parents live in San Diego. I mean, they complain when it's it's only nice. 65. So you nice. know, uh, up in the Northeast, it's a little different here, Jordy. But uh, yeah, so it's it's not going to be that. But but it's Bermuda rough, which is unusual for U.S. Open because again. Um, that's you, you see that more in southern climates, especially in Florida and, and I'm sure around you. Uh, so it's that you know a little more spongy, juicy rough. So even though it might not be as tall, it can provide just as much uncertainty and provide just as many problems. And especially around the greens, um, you know you're going to see balls sit down and nestle pretty low uh, in that rough. Uh, guys are going to have to really get you know creative, Uh, playing different shots around these greens. Uh, But back to why it's different. I mean, you mentioned, I mean, 7,400 yards and and a par 70. That sounds pretty typical for U.S. Open. But there's five par threes and three par fives, which is different. Um, And, and again, you're not going to see these, like, tight fairways that we're used to seeing. They're wide fairways. Maybe some of the widest we've ever seen in U.S. Open history. But you have to put it in the right spots on these fairways or your approach shots are going to be very difficult. So it, it'll have a different visual to the guys on the tee, but they still need to be pretty accurate off the tee and, and, and especially accurate with those iron shots. Because again, if you miss these small greens, it's going to be very difficult to get up and down.
1: When I think of golf, the things that pop to my head immediately are Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, hmm. Brooks Kepka. Um, yep. You it. I mean, those. That's those it. That's the if three. I'm betting on somebody, I'm betting on one of those three. Give me an outlier yes. that you think is playing well. That I mean, you get Max Homa on his home course. You've got uh, Colin Morikawa playing uh, in his home city as well. But yep. I mean, how do you bet against those three?
5: No, exactly. It's really hard to bet against those three right now. They've won the three biggest events this year: uh, Scheffler at the Players, obviously Rahm at the Masters, Brooks at the PGA. Uh, you know the world ranking won't put Brooks in the top three because of you know they're not getting the points for for live, but certainly anybody would put those guys as the three because you know Rory McIlroy has fallen off a little this year. Um, you know won the Tour Championship last year, was riding high, um, and it got up to a little bit of a slow start and and you know missed the cut at the Masters, and then finally these last two weeks he's been in contention but has not closed the door at either the Canadian Open or the Memorial. So with these Sunday struggles. You know, there's just too many question marks. So, yeah, the big three, it's going to be tough to bet against them. Of those three, I really do like Scheffler. Um, You know, the ball striking right now is on par to really only what we've seen from Tiger Woods in the modern era. I mean, his strokes gained stats are simply off the charts, unfortunately. His strokes game putting stats are, have been off the charts the other way. Um, you know, at the Memorial, he gained 20 shots from tee to green, and he lost nine shots on the green. If he had putted uh, average to the field, he would have won by seven shots at the Memorial. Wow. So that's how good he's striking the ball. Um, I think he's got 16 consecutive top 20 finishes, which is just insane consistency. Yes. Um you know he's a six to one guy now. He's moved up from even seven to one. But I never bet the favorites, Jordy. But I might even have to do it with, with Scotty this week. He, he's just been that good. And if the putter just shows up at all for him, uh, he, he could he could win this major and, and win a second major of his career.
1: It, it's not like the Tiger era when when Tiger was at its apex. Um, you all, you bet the favorite. He was always the favorite, right, and you'd right. be a fool not to do it. <laughs> But since that time, I mean, you know, you can throw McElroy in there a little bit, maybe a Spieth a little bit, but mm-hmm. I mean, we got a big three here. It kind of reminds me of um, uh, Federer, Djokovic, and the Donald yeah. on the tennis circuit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could be. And and then again, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe we're we're slamming the
5: door too quickly on McElroy. But I mean, again, it has been almost nine years since he won a major. Now, certainly, he's won everything else in between, but. But, yeah, no, those guys right now, I mean, um, you know, with them just starting to kind of hit their stride, Rory obviously did that years ago when he was young and we thought he was going to just start breaking records left and right. Um, You know, again, he's got plenty of time to get back. But, yeah, I mean, you mentioned those three guys, um, the way they've been coming on. uh, You know, Brooks obviously had a couple years with the injuries and everything else, but to rack up five majors – um, wow. in less than six Amazing. years, is pretty darn impressive, and he's got his eyes set on on double digits majors. That's what he wants. Rahm has said he wants to break Tiger's record. He wants he wants 15 or more majors. So these guys not only um have won a few already, but they they've got their eyes set on much loftier goals. And you know, Scheffler is the funny one because right, he couldn't win for a couple years anywhere, um, and then he got on that. That Ryder Cup team, he did so well, and it seemed to give him that confidence. And then once he broke through last year, he won four events, it just quick succession, including the Masters. And now this year, he's carried it over with the incredible play. I just can't imagine him going through a year playing this well and not picking off another major. Again, he won the Players' Championship, which is, you know, just a touch below the majors. But, um, I just can't imagine him not winning one. And, uh, yeah, it'd be pretty amazing if if uh, he wins another. And and you're right, they kind of t- that, that big three kind of takes the grasp uh, on the majors in this era. Yeah,
1: might be. All right, let's say that let's let's take those three out of the equation. Who's playing well, sure. and who else is, is as a long shot? Would you put a couple of bucks on uh, as a as a dark horse to win this thing? Yeah, I mean,
5: one of the guys. I love Jordan Spieth this week. You know, he's okay. unfortunately been like Rory in. He has had some final round struggles where he has seemed like it's his tournament to win. He's kind of let it get through, but his he really is hitting the ball about as well as he did back in that magical 2015 year when he, he almost won all four majors I and mean, he won the first two and then he contended at the last two. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of crazy. It's been almost six years since he won that third major. Uh, but I think this course, you know, plays to his strengths in that you don't get killed with a wayward tee shot here you you're you're allowed to try to recover and he's one of the great recovery artists and that's why we've seen him do well at Augusta uh where you don't you know you don't lose balls off the tee there you don't hit it out of bounds and and that's why he won at Chambers Bay in 2015 which you know not it's not a great comparison to this course but in terms of it just being a different style of a u.s open it kind of matches up so i think the player this week um again going to have to hit the irons great from a lot of different positions and then if you do miss the greens you need an incredible short game and you need a creative short game and so spieth is the guy who jumps out to me um if it's not going to be one of the big three um he's probably my next guy and and I like the price too, Jordy. I, I have him at thirty to one already. Wow. So So uh, I'm wow. I'm taking that uh, Jordan Spieth.
1: Wow. Oh, uh, I, I wish I could morph Jordan Spieth and Rory McElroy together because Spieth starts off so, good and he fades yeah. down the shot. McIlroy stinks it up in the first round and then he <laughs> comes charging. You put those two together, you win everything. <laughs> well, how about if you put uh,
5: you know, yeah, some of these guys, I mean, I know it's it's true. It, you wish you could match them up and see what's going on. I mean, look, if you could put Scotty Schepler with, with uh, Jordan Speed's putting. I know Jordan Spieth struggles with the short ones, but he makes so many mid-range ones with Scotty gives himself all these opportunities. Then you'd have an, all, <laughs> an all-time person there. So, uh, yeah, we, we, can dream, we-, though, we can only dream, though, Jordan.
1: We can only dream. Any new uh, – we'll get out on this one with the uh, U.S. Open starting tomorrow in Los Angeles. Any new clarity on this um this story that we talked about the last time with the with the European Tour, the Live Tour and the PGA Tour. Any new clarity into this thing or is it still all up in the air?
5: You know, it's it's crazy. I mean, it really not only did the players have no clue this was coming, but it still seems like they have no clue what's still to come. And and yes. you almost wonder if the tour does as well. I mean you know, you got the Department of Justice opening up probes. Uh, you got different senators speaking out against this deal. I mean, I think when it first came out, people just assumed like it was a done deal. I think it's far from that. I mean, it's going to take a while to figure this out. Um, and then once they do figure it out, they're going to have to figure out how to kind of merge all these entities. And, you know, what do you do with LIB? What do you keep the teams? I mean, we're hearing that LIB's going to get scrapped one day, and then the next day we hear, you know, it's going to be kept. Um it, you just it's all over the place the guys who've been talked yeah. about this week they, they really seem like they don't have any more details than than the rest of us um you can tell that they're a little ticked as well in particular uh, john rahm you know said he feels betrayed by by management so um it's it's a weird spot jordy i i hope obviously i think everybody kind of hopes that the focus at least for this week will be on the the U S open just because it is one of the four majors and uh, you know, it is our national championship, but uh, certainly the guys have been fielding questions about this and, and they're going to be continued to be asked questions about it because until we, you know, get better answers.
1: One last one. Um, He has won every tournament out there, but the U S open Phil Mickelson going at it again. Mm. Does Phil Mickelson make the cut? at the L.A. Country Club?
5: Oh, does Phil Mickelson make the cut. Wow, that's a great question. You know, I'm going to say yes, based on how he's played the first two majors. I mean, he did make the You know, he played amazing at the Masters. That yeah. final round was just a vintage turn-back-the-clock performance. And then he made the cut. It was close, but he made it at the PGA as well. So, yeah, you know, I said before with speed, the recovery shots, the short game, um, you know, not penalizing you as much for the wild tee shots. You mm-hmm. need some length. Phil actually is still pretty long considering he's in his 50s. I, I, I'm going to say he will make the cut. I don't think him, okay. he's going to contend or anything, but uh, I think he'll keep his little major streak going and, and, and have a nice week this week.
1: Sounds great! Can't wait to see it. Uh, I, I would yep. have to hole out at the fourteenth hole after your advice. That's right.
5: Alex Myers, with, <laughs> well, uh, it's not the with same old Hughes' old place you, without without happening there. You know, it's, it's not the same. It's, so, but uh, yeah, there is a zoo there. So, those are the noises that you hear. Don't get, don't go crazy.
1: <laughs> Again, I Alex Myers, Golf Digest. Thank you, my friend. Enjoy the tournament. <laughs>
5: you got it. Take care. Anytime, George. See you.
1: All right, buddy boy. Uh, We'll take a quick time out here. We'll come back hump day uh, with Huguenin next. This is the
0: Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: Well, we here at the Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station know you love our shenanigans on and off the air. So go and subscribe to our YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana, and turn that bell on so you can get notifications when we post our new content and game recaps. So go see more of our fun behind the scenes and after work mischief at The Game Louisiana on YouTube. Once again, that is At The Game Louisiana on YouTube. Uh-oh. Do you know what day it is? Huh? Anybody? It's time
0: for Jordy to break down the biggest storylines in college athletics with Mike Huguenin. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Here is Hump Day with Huguenin. woo On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest
1: Louisiana's sports station. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you, sir?
6: Doing, uh, doing quite well.
1: kind of, Kind of quiet on the college football front but uh according to the sec network is going to divulge the the 2024 sec slate and apparently you know with with texas and oklahoma coming on board um every team in the league is going to play at least texas or oklahoma home or away in year number one i think it only adds to the aura of this league don't you
6: Yeah, I agree. I I think the only unfortunate aspect is that there's not nine conference games. You know, that's been a a point of of contention. You know, we've talked about it the last couple weeks. And, you know, I I get the, oh, my goodness, they're going to unveil the schedule for 2024. And I'm like, okay, fine. Um, It's still a week, I think, that they're not playing nine conference games. But um, it, it does add to the aura. This is two really good programs. Uh, historically Oklahoma has been one of the best programs this century of all um, i think you could argue that it the, the the four best programs this century you got Alabama for sure you got Ohio State for sure and i think Oklahoma is one of the four as well and you know they haven't won a national title this century but they've been to the playoffs they dominated the big 12 um and they always seem to have high level players and, and last year I think was an aberration in that they were so mediocre.
1: It's funny because you know LSU has won three national championships right. um and but they have the highest of highs and then they seem to have the lowest of lows so it's kind of a the old uh, roller coaster ride when it comes to LSU.
6: Yeah and I think LSU has you know t- the past two decades they won and Saban in the, the aughts, they won with Miles, Miles. and Orgeron in right. the teens. And, and now, obviously, they, they won the SEC West last year under Kelly. Um, it, it's Yeah, it, it's, I, I would think that's they have more say than Georgia. I think Georgia's recent dominance obviously is phenomenal. But that's a program that I believe won just two SEC East titles in like a 15-year stretch. So right. um, Georgia is, you're right, LSU with its three national titles certainly is impressive, uh, Georgia, what they're doing now. But Oklahoma, yeah, I think if you're an SEC fan, you're loving Oklahoma and Texas coming in because that does just add to the prestige of the league on in, in, in football.
1: Why do you think, texas everybody thought oh they got all the money in the world they can spend it on this and that the facilities and everything and yet they have not been other than the vince young year uh when they beat usc i mean they have not been a player on the national scene in college football for a while what, right they won happened? one
6: national title since 1969 so that's one what's national title texas? in 54 years um, and yeah. they did play for another one, and you know maybe they beat Alabama if Colt McCoy doesn't get hurt. I don't know if that's the case or not, but yeah. that is a almost perennially, annually underachieving program. Um, yeah. There's unquestionably a boatload of talent in Texas. Um, I think they they do everything they can to win, and I think there often though are too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, they have a very Active booster group, very active booster, very active boosters, let's just put it that way. But I think at some point, sometimes um, not all the boosters are on the same page. I think you can look at Auburn as an example of a dysfunctional program. Texas certainly isn't as bad as Auburn, but I think Texas has too many people thinking they are, I'm the guy, I give all this money, you need to listen to me. Um, but, yeah, Texas, again, there, there is absolutely no reason they shouldn't be an annual top 15 team. And, you know, maybe they should even be annually top 10 because of the town level there. Now, Obviously, there are also a lot of programs in Texas. There also are a lot of nearby programs that recruit well in Texas. But the University of Texas is unquestionably, unquestionably the flagship in that state. There is a boatload of money Um and, yeah, it, it is sort of fair to wonder why they aren't annually a national title contender. But the problem with Texas is they haven't even been a Big 12 contender
1: no, for much of this no. century. Is it, is it as simple as saying their evaluation of who is the right head coach to lead their program has fallen into the into the abyss. Can you imagine I th- yeah, Texas I think, with a Nick you know, Saban when, when as When they hired coach? Charlie
6: Strong, I, I, I was one of the ones that were like, oh, my God, this guy's going to clean up there. But, I, again, I think there was some booster interference, booster. Yeah, let's just put it, booster interference. They didn't always recruit the right players. They didn't always develop the players they had. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's Yeah, it's sort of mystifying as to why they're not better. Um, you know, I live in a state where the right they had coach. Florida State, Florida, in Miami. You can also make the case that all three of those schools should be a heck of a lot better than they have been uh, of late. Now, obviously, FSU was preseason top ten, but they've wandered the wilderness for much of the past decade. Uh, Florida hasn't really been a true national contender since the second year of Will Muschamp. So... Uh, and Miami has been an afterthought on the national scene for a while. And I think uh, all those – those three schools have various reasons why they haven't been up at the, near the top. And I think Texas, though, is sort of epitomizes – Texas is the poster child for why doesn't this program do more.
1: Right. i, I look – this is not a knock, but I don't think Les Miles was a great coach, but he no, had he good assistants he and he not. recruited. I think
6: Miles had. I don't had think a good Ed Orgeron
1: dad. was a um,
6: and, and a, a phenomenal recruiting, and they did a nice job developing players. But you're right. If if it came down to it, if you gave Nick Saban Les Miles' players, I think Nick Nick Saban would do more with them. Um, I think Lincoln Riley would do more with them. But Miles did win a national title. His teams always played hard and were physical. Um, but, yeah, he's certainly not an excellent coach. But you're, you're right. Texas, for whatever reason, has had a run of not excellent coaches, and, and it's cost them. And yes. it is it, it's sort of mystifying. I mean, there's money. It's incredible how much money there is that's in that state. They have really great facilities. The recruiting base is gigantic because I think a, a heck of a lot of kids in Texas grow up wanting to be Longhorns I think a lot fewer grew up wanting to be Aggies and I don't think there's any any other I think Soon Oklahoma would be third but um it's it's amazing that Texas has been the way they have been really for I mean they played for the title what was that 2012 with with under Mac Brown second time was that Colt McCoy was that 2012 but I mean yeah. ever since then like they really you know haven't made the playoffs haven't come close, frankly, to making the playoff, and they always seem to lose at least one game, at least one where you're like, what in the world is going mm-hmm. on that Texas would lose to that team? You you say that mm-hmm. at least once a season.
1: Yeah, and they play everybody close. I mean, LSU in their championship season won a dogfight there. Uh, Alabama, a year or two later, uh, last season, I believe, won a dogfight there, but they they keep winning. So it just – is Steve in the – I mean, when he That's got hired, good question. I'm like, I, really? I think offensively
6: he is a good play caller. He certainly would seem to have the raw talent on hand at quarterback. And we all know that for the most – generally, when your quarterback is high level, your team is high level and, and can be in the national title discussion. Um, mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, a, there's been a glaring lack of toughness for the most part um, with the Longhorns for the for much of the past decade plus. Um, their offensive line isn't always as dominant as it should be, and defensive line, for, for, again, you're in Texas, and right. sometimes you wonder how can these guys be such big-time recruits and then play so abysmally on certain Saturdays.
1: So if you were placing a bet and you got to pick one of these two teams, who was going to have more success – in the next five years, would you take Texas, or would you take Texas A&M? That's an
6: interesting question. Um, if you asked me at the end of this season, I think I'd be uh, I'd be more comfortable uh, giving the answer because I'm, I'm not sure if Fisher and Petrino can coexist. Um, yeah. And I, I yeah. think unquestionably Texas has the better quarterback this year. Um, I, you know what I they think say- Texas. He- I think Texas you know they- is the flagship program. I think okay. yes, they're new to the SEC, but I still think that Texas is in, a be- is in as good a position, if not better, than Texas A&M over the next five years. I would say Texas.
1: Okay, maybe A and M's hoping they said when you know when they said it Alabama, there's no way that Saban and Kiffin can coexist. Well, right. well, they did, yeah. but. Is Jimbo Fisher have the same mantra as a as a Nick Saban when it comes to controlling all the outside noise? That's that's and the question. And
6: also, I mean, Petr- Kiffin for all his quirkiness slash eccentricity slash personality issues, yeah. um, I don't think he would. I just Petrino's a lot. I don't think different he's a bad dude. Kiffin. Yeah, and I think that's that's the. That's the concern I would have. Can those two guys coexist? I think Petrino is a good offensive mind. Um, if, and if he drags Fisher into this century in terms of offense, because Jimbo really is not playing a cutting-edge offense. Um, and I think Petrino will allow him to become more cutting-edge. But I still don't think Petrino... Uh, I think Kiffin is further evolved in the spread aspect than Petrino, though I think Petrino as a you know if it, if it was a pure pa- drop back passing attack, Petrino is better than Kiffin. But I'm interested in seeing how all this meshes. Um, and you know, but Petrino did a really nice job at Missouri State, but it's still an FCS program. So let's, right. see, let's see what happens there. It's going to be a fascinating, fascinating experiment this
1: fall. Let's take a quick timeout here. We'll continue uh, with Mike Huguenin, Hump Day with Huguenin, after this timeout.
0: This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: The Astros began their homestand Tuesday with a win over the Nationals. They'll look to make it two in a row tonight. You can catch all the action live here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Astro launch begins at 640. First pitch from Minute Maid Park is set for 710. That's live Astros baseball here on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: The Jordy Holberg Show prides itself on settling for nothing less than the best.
3: You say the best. This thing has a variety of nauseating aspects to
0: it. Jordy has the best takes, the best guests, and let's be honest, the best nickname. The Blonde Bomber is cool as hell. I agree. All right. Let's play ball. Back to only the best on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Well, we continue hump day with. Huguenin here uh, on this Wednesday, June 14th. Mike there in beautiful city of Orlando. Um, you know, we, we talk about the SEC, and it, it seems to be Georgia, uh, Alabama, LSU. Um, in, in the Big Ten, it's it's is anybody going to be able to compete with Ohio State and Michigan? Is anybody closing that gap? No,
6: no I don't think so. I think Penn State... Um, is going to be quite good again. They only lost twice last year, but to Michigan and Ohio State. Um, and yeah. Drew Allard, and a new quarterback is is a talented guy. You wonder about the surrounding cast. Um, Michigan's got the returning starting quarterback. They got a, there's going to be a good defense again. Their offensive line is going to be really good again as well. And Ohio State has, looks like it has all the pieces, except you wonder about their quarterback. So, right. um, but I think Michigan and Ohio State are going to be preseason top 10. I think Penn State's going to be preseason top 15, 16. But I am not convinced that any other Big Ten team deserves to be preseason top 25. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how good Wisconsin is going to be under Luke Fickle. Um, Purdue lost a ton after surprisingly winning the division last year. Iowa, you know the Iowa offense is going to be right. garbage. Um, yeah. Illinois is an interesting team. Belama has changed a lot of things quickly. Uh, they, they don't have enough uh, top-end talent to, to truly challenge, though. Um, but no, I think that it's it's Penn State. I'm sorry, it's Ohio State and Michigan at the top. The next level is Penn State, and then then the, the third level is everybody else in the Big Cardinals. Ten. Um, mm-hmm. That is a extremely top heavy league. Again, I'm not sure who the fourth best team is, and I wouldn't put I wouldn't put a the fourth best team in the preseason top twenty five either.
1: Kind of funny when we were wondering about Jim Harbaugh and if he was going to last. As the coach at Michigan, they would go travel to Europe. They'd go practice in Rome and they would do all these things. Now that he's beaten Ohio State back to back years and is up there, and man, you don't hear a peep coming out of Ann Arbor, do you?
6: No, I think the only peep you hear is that Michigan fans who are obviously happy about beating Ohio State, but also I think, you know, each of the last two years, Harbaugh has at least flirted with the NFL. I think some people, you know, why would you do that? Well, NFL, it, it's weird. Being an NFL coach is easier than being a college coach now.
5: Yeah, I, I think recruit. the
6: pendulum has swung greatly in the last five to eight years. The transfer portal, um, NIL, makes college coaching at, at any in any sport extremely difficult. And I think the there is an a, advantage in, in the NFL, it's, you, you're, you're a coach. It's all about football, um, designing plays, all that kind of stuff. Well, that, that ain't that ain't it. That's not close to being all it is in college football. You got to worry about recruiting. And you know, you and I talked about this. And, and you were a college player. You know, if, if you're a 18 year old high school recruit, um, that, that's that's a high level recruit. You basically got 40 and 50 year old men begging you to come play at their school. And I that's think right. that in some cases, starts to wear on college coaches, because especially okay. in the NIL-transfer portal era, because you're not only recruiting high school kids, now you're recruiting your own kids to stay on your roster. And you know, I don't care what field you're in, if you're, if you're in your 40s, 50s, or even 60s, and you're dealing with younger people, oh, my God, please, please work for me or please come play for me. Uh, that can get old
1: yeah you're right um colorado with Deion sanders after their first spring practice was over in boulder 47 players entered the transfer portal it's not a portal it's like an expansion draft at colorado what are the, what kind of expectations could you realistically have for the buffaloes and Deion sanders in year one
6: well i think well the one thing, that was a horrible program. They were 1-11 last year. Uh, they were the worst yeah. power five team in the country. And a lot of guys left, and a lot of those guys weren't good players. That said, um, given the amount of departures after spring practice, you're counting on a boatload of new guys who the mm-hmm. first time they hit the field at Colorado is going to be f- summer camp in August. So yep. you better hope everybody jails quickly, um, you know. And he's counting a lot on a couple players he brought with him from Jackson State. Um, let's just put it this way: quarterbacking against Mississippi Valley or Alabama A and M is a lot different than quarterbacking against Oregon and Washington and Oregon State, and Washington State. And at Jackson State, Shador Sanders had high-level players for his league. At Colorado, he does not have high-level players for his league. Colorado is a cool story. They're going to be on, I think their first two games are on national TV, uh, at least their first two Um I truly wonder, I mean, if if they win four games, uh, I think that's their ceiling. Um, Their depth is right now a mystery. Um, If they have no injuries and everything, maybe they can win four or even five. Um, But, you know, everybody makes fun of, oh, the Pac-12 is really not that good. Well, Washington is really good. Oregon is a well-coached team. Utah is an exceptionally well-coached team. USC and UCLA are well-coached teams with good players. Um, Oregon State is underrated, and Jonathan Smith is a great coach. Um, that, I, I think it's going to be a long first season for Dion. I think there's a lot of folks out there who, are, who don't like Dion and will be quite happy with that. But I think the one thing to keep again, that was a horrible team last year, and the fact that all a lot of these guys left and, and aren't at another Division One, another FBS school, proves how untalented that squad was. But again, your point about they left after spring practice, so a bunch of new guys have to gel in four weeks, and their opening games against TCU.
1: Another program, we talked about Texas and how it just doesn't make sense that how come they're not good. The other program that is, I mean, forever and a day, Nebraska was like, I mean, right there all the time. Matt Rule replaces Scott Frost. I think Matt Rule's going to, think he's going to do well there. I think, yeah, is he I think capable Matt Rule's different Frost. Back? I went,
6: when, when Nebraska hired Frost, um, I thought that was a great hire because he, he knew yeah. he's a Nebraska native who played there and understands the mentality of Nebraska fans. And his thing was he was going to sort of combine old-school Nebraska, you know, we're going to revive the walk-on program, and we're going to be strong up front, and we're going to run a version of the spread, and we're going to, you know, it, it, the spread can work in the – Big tw- uh, in the Big Ten, schools have shown yeah. that, but it was an abject disaster, and they never won a close game. It's like they no. would get close or have a lead late, and then they would spit the bit. It's like they didn't know how to win. I think Rule will emphasize different things. Um, I think he is a big-time infrastructure guy, much more so than Frost. Um, I think he will recruit differently than Frost. I don't know how good Nebraska is going to be next year. I mean, sorry, this Mm -hmm. fall. But I think starting in 2024 and 2025, you're going to see a different style of Nebraska football um, than than has been played the last couple years. But again, it's I'm not expecting big things from Nebraska this fall. So again, the Big Ten is a gigantic mystery. It's not a league filled with great, great talent. So I think rule. can can make an impact. I just wonder how quickly the impact will be seen on the field. But he is doing things a heck of a lot differently than Frost did.
1: Hugh Freeze had his troubles um, when he was coaching, but now with NIL and and Auburn's got some deep pockets apparently and people that are very interested in in that. Um, How quickly do you think Hugh Freeze sees success at Auburn?
6: Uh, That's a program. You look at their roster, oh, my goodness, who's their quarterback? Peyton Thorne, yeah. um, who, who was horrible last year at Michigan State. Five new starting offensive linemen, t- including two transfers. Um, if you don't win up front in the SEC, you ain't winning games. And they struggled last year to win up front, and all their starting linemen are gone. Uh, defensively, yeah. they got some good high-level talent. I'm, I'm questioning their depth. And offensively, okay, good running backs quarterback situation is murky, and the wide receiver situation is flat-out bad. Um, and, that, again, this is Auburn, the most dysfunctional boosters in the country. Um, yeah. I don't think all the boosters were ecstatic about hiring Hugh Freeze. Um, you know, again, it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, I've, said on your show, I've been on your show for about, I don't know, 15 to 20 years now, it's Seems amazing like it, yeah. to watch administrators across the country say one thing and then do exactly the opposite. Hugh Freeze was in big time NCAA trouble at Ole Miss. Right. Forget yep. his off field issues. Forget his—I want to be honest. Forget his phony "I'm a Christian" stuff because yes. you know where I, where I grew up. Christian men didn't go out and cheat on their wives with hookers. Right. So take that out of the mix. Um, you know, Freeze is more adaptable to the SEC than Harson was because he's coached in it before. But I don't think Hugh Freeze is going to have immediate success. I think this is a bad team this year. I think it's the worst team in the West. I think it's the second-worst team on paper than any team in the SEC. But I think, given Hugh Freeze's background, I think that's another program that, starting in 2024, you should see improvements made because he is going to recruit better Ban, Harson did, and I think there are a lot of big money guys who are behind him. And yes, NIL is going to be a, a positive for Auburn. He will fully embrace it. I'm not sure Harson ever would have, um, but I think this is going to be a long first season for Freeze and Auburn.
1: Yep. Um, and it always goes with it. And you said this forever and a day. Um, when you're in the news at this time of the year, it's yes, never good. It's in bad. Georgia, apparently, they, they oh. just get involved with at least 10 reports of traffic-related moving violations since January 15th. Um, man, yeah, that's and it, crazy. It's just, I mean,
6: people, I think people Oh, you know, college kids speed. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's, yeah. Become, I got more tickets in five years of college than I have in the ensuing <laughs> 40, probably, or 35. But, I mean, that we're talking 85 scholarship guys. Um... And given what happened with Jalen Carter, um, right. and the and the death of one of the Georgia players, the story that came out—you read it—and it raised eyebrows because it, you would think that okay, we got players in trouble for speeding. Maybe it filters down that hey, be careful when you're out there. It doesn't mm-hmm. appear anybody's being careful when they're out there. So mm-hmm. um, that was a extremely. Yeah, eye-opening story, and yeah, speeding is not a big deal in and of itself, Um, but you did have a player involved in a traffic fatality, and it is interesting that there's been so many in such a small group of players in the last four months. Yeah,
1: eye-opening, no question. Uh, Mike Huganin, you are the best. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. Always look forward to talking to you. All right, talk to you next week. Thanks, man. You got it, my man. Mike Huguenin, time enough to join us. But back to wrap it up with a, uh, a presidential birthday wish. Next.
0: This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: And... The home of ShopRite, tobacco plus discount outlets. If you can't shop right at ShopRite, you can't shop right at all. By Ducks, cleaning America's air from the inside out. By Eon, the premier tuxless robotic laser body contouring device that helps you lose those unwanted inches along with permanent fat reduction. Eon of Lafayette, Baton Rouge, and Mandeville. By the Louisiana Lottery, so many chances to win, but you can't win until you start playing and playing responsibly by DC's Little Capital Exxon, with their true soul food deli, best cheeseburger ever, and by Cajun Chef. Do yourself a flavor. Turn up the taste with Cajun Chef hot sauce. Here's three
0: pieces of advice to live by. Never play cards with a guy whose last name is a steak. Don't spit into the wind. And always listen to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: All right, fun day. Thanks to Mark Etheridge, D1 Baseball, for his take on the uh, College World Series. Chris Rosevoglu of uh, Boot Crew Media with his uh, thoughts on Saints Day 2 of Mandatory Minicamp. Alex Myers, Golf Digest, previewing tomorrow's start of the U.S. Open at the Los Angeles. Country Club and Michael Huguenin with all things dealing with today, college football. If today, June 14th, is your birthday, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. You share yours with former president Donald Trump. Donald Trump is 77 years old today. Tomorrow, Thursday, another more and more on. Uh, This College World Series, as we take you through leading up to game day, Uh, more on uh, the NBA draft, more on the Saints mini camp and whatever else comes down the pipeline. So James Mesh in the Evco Development Studios, thank you so much. Thanks to all of you for listening in in whatever form or fashion that you do. Thank you, partners. We couldn't do it without you. Come on back tomorrow. Same time, two to four. Same great stations, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Until then, I'm Jordy Helper. Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay healthy. Let's be kind to one another and be happy. Up next, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Have a great day, everybody. So long.